Welcome to Nicosia Uncut, produced and presented by Andromachis of Okleus and Kemal Baikali. Now that the elections in Greece and Turkey are over, we elaborated the results. And discussed developments at home, or lack thereof, regarding the Cyprus problem. Welcome to Nicosia Uncut. Hello, Andromachi. Hello, Kemal. A lot has happened since our last program. Um, we know that the elections in Turkey and Greece are over. I think there are a few things to discuss, uh, particularly what the impact will be in the regional politics and on Cyprus. And I think we can also maybe talk a bit about the regional developments. And there will be Turkey Cypriot elections coming up, uh, and it will be only for one member of the parliament, and it's crazy. And uh, there are already some talks about possible confidence-building measures, not real actions, maybe except for one. But uh, I think a lot has uh, happened since our last program, and I think we might start with the Turkish politics, because one, it has an influence on Cyprus problem, and Two, I think it's one of the the most interesting development in the uh, regional politics. Yeah, definitely. And I think we need to discuss what happened. Uh, it was contrary to most opinion polls, uh, proving once again that um, a regime that has had its... Uh, its clause, let's say, on society for so many years is so difficult to topple and to overthrow. And this this is a case in point. And we would like to hear more from you, Kemal, on this. Well, you know, there are multiple reasons why Mr. Erdogan won again. I prepared five points uh, according to my view. I'm sure the number can be increased to 10, 20, 25, 30, 100. But um, I think, first of all, we need to understand that it was not really a big failure for the opposition. In the end, for the first time, uh, they almost got half of the votes. And um, I think their their achievement, their um, performance is not as bad as everybody th- thought uh, and um, in the, let's say, uh, a year ago. But let's uh, say five reasons why uh, Mr. Erdogan actually won in the second round. Number one, I think we need to acknowledge that he's the game player. He knows how to play this game. He knows how to win the elections. He knows the dynamics of any elections. His party, himself, he understands the different um, weaves and perspectives. And uh, when it comes to Turkey, there are multiple fault lines and he... He, li- he literally dances uh, between those four lines and uh, he can change the tunes ba- based on the expectations on and he knows how to use a specific um, agenda and use a specific uh, issue to his uh, favor. So um, there are a number of fault lines and uh, I think the opposition while trying to keep a very difficult coalition together, he had made his plans, he had made his strategies, and um, he already knew what to say, what the possible difficulties the opposition will be facing. He knows his weaknesses and his strengths, and he used it very carefully. So it's like he's a very good chess player, regardless of the context, regardless of the topics. Number two, I think in times of crisis, the manipulated masses tend to vote 
for the candidate that they know. I think the masses understand that they're in a, in a difficult situation economically, but also they have been manipulated over the course of the years. I'm talking about the Turkish public opinion. Erdogan created uh, some real and some imaginary enemies to his um, rule. And in fact, when you are running a country for more than uh, 20 years, then the party politics become synonym with the country politics. So in this sense, he he manipulated masses about the enemies of the country and he gave this message that he's the only strong familiar leader that he can um, take people through these difficult times and uh, he used the, the this this crisis uh, rhetoric for his favor number three nationalist turkey yes traditionally turkish public opinion and Turkish waters are quite nationalistic and especially when it comes to the Kurdish issue, when it's come to the the terrorism, when it comes to the um, discussion about whether the internationals are helping the Kurds to divide Turkey, whether it is true or not, this discourse uh, worked well uh, among the, the regular water. I think he portrayed himself as somebody who will be owning the traditional nationalistic values of Turkey and he actually hit below the belt when it comes to the opposition and accused opposition as being the tool of the the dirty international powers he actually showed videos of uh, the the Kurds and the separatists support the opposition and uh, pro-Kurdish parties actually openly supported the opposition and he used it against them. And uh, I think that also created um, wonders when it comes to the non-political voters who are not necessarily very much into politics but own the traditional uh, values of, of Turkish nationalism. And um, I think number four is the fact that Erdogan has been very consistent with his election campaign where the opposition tried to change courses, uh, you know, weekly, monthly. The, the strategy that they had in the first round was different from the strategy in the second round. The opposition uh, br brought together um, right-wing, left-wings, basically an anti-Erdogan coalition. So it was difficult really to uh, create a very consistent and a very strong campaign without really um, hurting uh, the follower base of either of the coalition, the, the parties, the opposition bloc. And in that sense, Erdogan knew what he wanted to say, knew what the opposition will be saying. So yes, um, opposition also, uh, Mr. Kalishtaroğlu gave a very soft tone, embracing sides and suddenly when they realized that in the second round they wanted to get the votes of the nationalists suddenly um, he started using an anti-migrant rhetoric so you know consistency and number five i think everybody knows that turkey is really in a difficult situation economically and after the crisis 
and the relations with the neighbors were not very good. So in that sense, and of course, migrants, everybody has been talking about people, uh, the, the, especially the Syrians and Afghans and Pakistanis who, you know, their number have been discussed. So, um, and uh, Erdogan accepted all of them in Turkey without really putting any barricades or any difficulties. So people felt that Erdogan is the only leader who could steer them through these difficult politics, who could, he in the past delivered good economy, he in the past delivered a strong Turkey in the region, he in the past uh, managed to handle difficult politics at the same time. So they thought that, yes, he's not doing well recently, but maybe he's the only one who could actually take us out of these difficult waters. And um, he's an achiever in the minds of the water. And I think they, um, in these difficult times, like everywhere in the world, they voted for a candidate they, that they think could actually achieve again. And I think these are my analysis. I don't want to take it for so long. Um, and I think when it comes to the regional politics, we also um, need to understand that he is now giving this very strong message to the countries, to the NATO allies, to the regional um, um, countries, neighbors of Turkey, that if they want to um, do something with Turkey, it's him. They cannot get rid of him easily. So if they want to do something with Turkey, they need to do it through him. Um, this is basically my analysis, Andrew. I think from what you're suggesting is that it also be the better the devil you know. And I think that through our discussions with international interlocutors and everything, we, we were getting this sense uh, before the elections, if we are to be honest. The issue now is what is it that we are to expect from Erdogan from now on? So we, we saw today the announcement about the restoration of diplomatic uh, relations with Egypt. And if you want to say something on this, and, and what is it that we see from Erdogan when it comes? Of course, it's only been a few days. Has he given any first indications as to how he will proceed from now on? Erdogan doesn't want to be taken for granted. He wants to be a bargainer. He wants to be negotiating between the big powers. And the message he's giving to the internationals is that if you want anything from Turkey, you have to pay for it. Not in terms of money, but in terms of politics. And this is what he wants. And this is what he's trying to give when the message he wanted to give when he was negotiating or helping this bargain between Ukraine and Russia. He also wanted to portray himself as a country that might be balancing the interests of Russia and the US in the region. And the fact that Turkey started, even before the elections, their attempts to fix, to mend relations with Greece. Israel is already back on track, the relations with Israel and uh, Egypt. Uh, Putin is also talking warmly about Mr. Erdogan. And the messages that we have been receiving from the West has not been as critical as it used to be. So it shows that he is mastering his relations in the region in a way that he's now trying to fix the relations in the region as well. I think this is the first thing we should be expecting when it comes to the regional politics. But not only, Turkey is in the verge of a total economic collapse. 
But somehow, um, because the country is so big and because Turkey has very strange bedmates such as Qatar and Russia, um, he managed to find funds and um, to, to continue steering his ship in the difficult economic waters. But now I think he will try to, um, again, fix the economic policy. The, the Turkish lira is, is, is constantly going down. The inflation is rising. His Erdoganomics, uh, his strange economic policy is not working. Uh, yesterday, we heard that um, he was negotiating with this strongman, an economic um, mastermind in Turkey, with, who is well known in the international community, who will probably restore some respect to economy that he's probably trying to bring him back. So I think this is the second thing he wanted to do. And number three, I think he will need to address the migrants issue because every country should, of course, have needs to set up some policies when it's, you know, accepting migrants, when it's, um, let's say, giving them sociological support, when it's um, integrating them into economy and into the life of the country. And of course, you know, some of them are automatically becoming the citizens and voting. And then there are many people who are upset by this fact, it's not happening at the same rate that it happens in elsewhere in the world. Before we proceed to Greece, do you have any comment on, on Erdogan and the Turkish Cypriots on what this means for, for Turkish Cypriots? I think it is also important to stress that in the north, the Turkish voters in the north, they voted uh, for uh, Kemal Kılıçdaroğlu. So without putting, uh, you know, strange uh, suggestions or interpretations on the vote, but it is still an indication. So what does this mean for the Turkish Cypriot community? In the first biggest 10 cities of Turkey, Erdogan came second. So it's not only in Cyprus, but in the first 10, even 15, maybe 20 big major cities. Um, I mean, not separately, but when you combine together the votes of the first 20 cities, the big cities, um, Erdogan came second. So, um, and the second, I want to make a distinction. I have been hearing this, uh, let's say, uh, remarks uh, everywhere about that Erdogan came second in North Cyprus. Um, for our listeners who might not be maybe knowing the dynamics, the people who are voting in the Turkish elections are the citizens of Turkey, not Turkish Cypriots. But of course, naturally, there are many Turkish citizens who are living in the north. And also there are, uh, of course, there are dual citizenships. So there are some Turkish Cypriots who acquire Turkish citizenship just for practical reasons, either because they want to, you know, set up some business in Turkey and all that. So they are not the Turkish Cypriots, as we know, as the citizens of the Republic of Cyprus as well, that voted for uh, Erdogan. But yes, when it comes to Cyprus, I think Cyprus is only... At the moment, it's not on the front line. It's not one of the main discussion topics, not even in, in the West, not, not even in the international agenda. But Cyprus is only instrumental when it comes to Turkey shaping up its ISMET policy, its energy policy and its relationship with the EU. And I think Erdogan will continue to give a very strong message to the European Union that they did their best many times in the past. Now, if they want to move on with 
the Cyprus problem, if, if, if they want to solve the Cyprus problem with Erdogan, they will need to pay a little more than what they offered in the past. What does it mean? We don't know yet, but probably if there will be some sort of a, a solution process, the position of Turkey and the bargaining uh, where where Turkey will start bargaining will be uh, very different than what it was in Cran Montana. And I think here is where the importance of what is happening between Greece and Turkey also comes in, in the sense that I suppose that if, because what we saw with the uh, re-establishment of diplomatic relations with Egypt is something that, uh, as we understand, it was agreed before the elections and it was announced after. And at the same time, we have commented on, on this podcast as well about this uh, friendship uh, attack from, from Erdogan and from Turkey towards Greece. We were in a position to know, and we are in a position to know that this, this, this is something that is encouraged by other international powers as well. And um, we can only guess that uh, more things might have been agreed and we are about to see them after things become uh, sort of more uh, stable in, in Greece as well. And uh, here I think it's also worth noting something about the Greek elections. We had uh, Greek elections that took place in May, you know, on the 21st of May, and that's where <laughs> there was an overwhelming success by new democracy and not only an overwhelming success by new democracy, but also the complete collapse of Syriza. So new democracy received 41% of the vote and um, Syriza received 20% of the vote. And I think if there is something, just a small comment on that, I think if there is something to take out from the Greek elections when it comes to a more political comment is, is that at the end of the day, what matters for people is the trust that they can trust someone to govern. I think the election was lost by Syriza because Syriza did not prove that it could in any way govern or that it could in any way assume power. And um, he, he could not convince a public that has seen spyware accusations, that has seen this whole discussion about uh, spying of the closest of allies of, of Mr. Mitsodakis by people around uh, the prime minister's office. Uh, we saw them the very recent train accident in Tembi. And all of this did not matter because at the end of the day, Mitsodakis managed to prove and convince the, the Greek public that he is the one who is able to govern. And we can be discussing for hours how this was achieved and everything, but this is the reality uh, when it comes to what happens in Greece. And, and, and just to inform our public that because Mr. Mitsodakis, he had an overwhelming success, but he ran short of actually acquiring, you know, being able to govern on his own, there's now going to be another election on the 25th of June. And Mr. Mitsodakis hopes that there's going to be a bonus of seats in the parliament in these other elections. So Mr. Mitsodakis hopes and he will most probably will be able to govern on his own without having to rely on a coalition. This leaves him all powerful, not only in the country, but also within his own political party, because this was a win that needs to be credited to Mr. Mitsodakis. And this leaves him um, all powerful within his party. So he will not be challenged. 
And I think that that might leave him uh, with a greater uh, realm of, of actions in which he can engage. And we need to be looking at Greece as well after the 25th of June. Of course, we are yet to see, but I think we are going to see things between Greece and Turkey after uh, the 25th of June. Already the collaboration between the sides on many issues that do not even make it to the public uh, has continued. And... Um, there's going to be developments there. When it comes to the Turkish-Greek relations, I think we should be expecting even more developments um, in the uh, middle run, maybe, as we discussed. But just to make a reference to my earlier comments is that now that Erdogan has proven himself to the rest of the world that he's the one that will be calling the shots in Turkey. And as long as he wants to stay in power, he will stay in power. And the fact that when it comes to the Cyprus problem, I think Turkey will, uh, if there will be an opening in the, the talks, he his, his opening position will be, let's say, tougher um, or maybe more difficult when it comes to the, the Greek Cypriot politics. And um, this tells us also, Andromahi, how big the opportunity was in Crown Montana, how big the, the, the Greek Cypriot political apparatus failed in, in Crown Montana. It's, it's an opportunity, miss. we discussed it 1,000 times, but not only. Now, it, it is a complete short-sightedness. It is making um, the, the official politics of the positions of the Republic of Cyprus even making it more difficult. And um, the time is proving again that the, every time an opportunity is missed, the Turkish position is becoming even more um, hardened. The Greek Cypriot political apparatus should learn from it. And this is something that I fail to see, unfortunately, my personal perspective, that um, there is no consistency now, especially when it comes to the depth of the Greek Cypriot politics. When I look at DC, when I look at, um, um, let's say, Akel, and uh, yes, uh, Mr. Christotelidis has been around for some time and has been in the talks and, you know, he's more experienced now. But as a whole, I don't see this understanding in the Greek Cypriot domain. Look, I think we need to be... Um... I want to be fair here because in all our criticism about Akel, I, I still believe that it is the only political power at the moment that is trying to work a bit on the dynamics between the communities. Because from all this discussion and, you know, discussing with people in the political uh, sphere in Cyprus, you always get this sense that we don't look at Cyprus. We only look at what can happen internationally. And there is no sense that the dynamics in Cyprus can actually influence what is happening. This is totally missed from the picture. And I want to be fair to, to Akel because the other day, just a few days ago, Akel presented to the president a series of what appears to be very detailed uh, suggestions about uh, strengthening this and supporting the Turkish Cypriot community. Um, I am still trying to get um, the document, to be honest. I haven't seen the whole document yet, but from what has been leaked to the media, they suggested creating a fund uh, supporting by communal initiatives. They suggested enhancing and expanding the um, Green Line regulation. They suggested creating an office 
Office for Turkish Cypriot uh, Affairs that would be uh, liaising with the Turkish Cypriots for anything that they would need, helping them in the process. I see you smiling and I have a feeling that it is because some of these were mentioned in <laughs> in uh, a series of statements by United Cyprus now, but I think credit where credit is due, we need to give this to Akel that that was positive. And on the contrary, before we started, you 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 had me being upset because I was reading about the the visit between the the sea head and Nida Dimitriou to Israel Israeli ambassador to Cyprus, and there Miss Dimitriou. According to the press release, informed uh, the Israeli ambassador to Cyprus about the initiative by the Democratic Rally for informing the Cypriot public about the Cyprus problem. Kemal, you are <laughs> laughing, but I am not. <laughs> because if, I'm really informing the, public about... And, no, and, and, and the thing is, Kemal, if you read a bit more and... And you realize that there is no plan there. Even, I mean, there is this general suggestion that they're going to inform the Cypriot public about the need for the negotiations to recommence. Let's not be a political animal, but let's explain why I laughed. Not like why this thing about informing public about the Cyprus politics. It's it's something that, that, you know, Cyprus problem, you know, made me laugh. Can you explain it to our listeners? I cannot not be a political animal, Kemal, because in October 2018, the Democratic Rally, and if you remember back then, it was at the time when there was this pseudo rivalry between Mr. Averov Neofito and Mr. Nikos Anastasiadis, with Nikos Anastasiadis suggesting a two-state solution behind the scenes, Mr. Averov Neofito trying to challenge him a bit, but without actually coming forward and challenging him uh, publicly, and the Democratic Rally in October 2018, they did this conference in which Mr. Markidis spoke, and there Mr. Markidis informed um, the audience about what the zonal bicommunal federation is. And then there was this decision by the seat to inform the public about what the zonal bicommunal federation is. And now today, the seat wants to inform the public about the need for negotiations to recommence. Uh, you see where I'm going, Kamala. Well, I mean, it is important to to commence to, to start the negotiations. So, what's wrong with it? And it is important to inform public about the, the federal solution after discussing federal solution in the last gazillion number of years. Now it's important to inform people. I mean, it's not that you know it started uh, long time ago. It's just the, the talks about federal solution started just. In 1977 or 79, if I remember, it's not, you know, it's just recent. So it's normal for DC to start informing <laughs> public about the federal. So solution. many years later, so many years at the, in power. But, you know, I, I really don't want to delve into the past, but I'm looking to today. And, OK, you come forward and you say you're going to make this, uh, you're going to take this initiative and you go around uh, embassies and diplomats and, mention this and then on the ground what is it that you do How, what is it that that you do proving first of all your commitment to a bizonal by communal federation i mean profound commitment but at the same time this initiative was announced in march 2023 and it's been more than two months and and it all stays at the rhetorical level. And if there is something more upsetting about the lack of any movement or activity on the Cyprus problem, is in fact people using their intention to 
act regarding the Cyprus problem and not acting. As, as we cannot not be political animals, can I be a little cynical and ask you this question? Is Mr. Demetriou is informed about the, the federal solution? Does she understand the dynamics of the talks? Does she know the, the, the background of, of, of what federalism and bicommunal, bisonal federation discussion come from? Because I remember when she was elected, she made some basic mistakes tweeting about some interesting topics not relevant to the official narrative of the, the Greek Cypriots. What do, what do you say about that? Well, look, Mrs. Aneda Dimitriou has been in, in the parliament since she's the head of parliament now, but she was an MP since 2016. She was the representative, and I think that's we shouldn't miss this. She was the spokesperson of Mr. Anastasiadis in his 2018 campaign. So after the failure of Gran Montana, she was uh, his spokesperson in the campaign that followed. We have never heard her taking any position, a uh, concrete position on the Cyprus problem, aside from mere rhetoric that has to do with I mean, now her official position that she constantly repeats, and she does repeat it, I mean, in rhetoric it is all correct, uh, that the um, DC supports a bi-zonal, bi-communal federation uh, with political equality. But when it comes to actually discussing the core of the Cyprus problem, we have never uh, heard her position her, herself. Recently we heard something about, uh, you know, the commitment to Guterres framework, but we've never heard her discuss it in detail or even admitting what uh, Guterres framework um, has to do with. And uh, to be honest, this sense of political accountability comes in, in the sense that, come on, it's been six years since the Guterres framework was presented. Six years. And we are talking about politicians that have supported everything that has happened in the previous government when it comes to ha the handling of the Cyprus problem. So in order for, for the audience or, or even just for people who follow the situation to be convinced that something is really changing or moving, you need to see something else from mere rhetoric. And this is what we do not see yet. You, you mentioned about Akelian confidence-building measures, and then you and I, um, we are also activists somehow, sometimes. Um, we have been fighting for uh, some more confidence-building measures in our um, also podcasts, explaining the reason why we need more confidence-building measures, especially at the lack when we have the talks stalled. And um, one of the initiatives, I think, um, now that the Republic of Cyprus is coming up with is to help the Turkish Cypriots to open bank accounts in the government-controlled areas. That was quite difficult in the past because they would ask you your residency, and then if you live in the north, then the residency proof would be difficult, so and, and so And to be so clear, Kemal, we, just to clarify here, no, it was also a problem for Turkish Cypriots living in the south. To, some banks were also yes. creating problems to Turkish Cypriots living in the south to open bank accounts. And we know that the behind the scenes, the European Union the Commission played an important role in this. And I think we should also thank them because there are a number of uh, directives um, to, you know, um, make the Republic of Cyprus to go towards this way. But at the end of the day, I think this is a positive development. We now know we now hear talks about opening new crossing points last Sunday, number of groups made a, a more a, a marched to uh, create awareness on that 
And I think um, we also know that there, there is, uh, you know, a possible discussion about this. The technical committees, again, Mr. Hristodoulidis brought together the technical committees. He discussed with them. We hear behind the scenes that there, there is some talk to actually uh, vitalize, uh, vitalize them. And although it's not always on, on the issue, I also heard... Uh, from some diplomats, Andromahi, that the the, the, the children of the, uh, the Republic of Cyprus citizens who are not um, um, given uh, their documentation, um, it's also being discussed. So uh, all these things, of course, are positive developments. And I think it's important for Mr. Christo Dulivis to uh, portray a positive message towards the international community and to prove that actually he means well, because I think the international community still remembers all the question marks that they posed on the Greek Cypriot leadership in 2004, in 2017, and so on and so forth. So, yeah. Yeah, I think here it is also worth mentioning a bit um, about this uh, whole... Um what was branded as an initiative by the Republic of Cyprus president to get the EU more engaged in the Cyprus problem negotiations. If you remember, we discussed it in the past. There was this very pompous idea about having a political persona from the EU uh, sort of going between countries of, for the EU to assume a more dominant role in the in the negotiations. We discussed in the past why this was this was not a feasible project from the start. Having said that, Mr. Nikos Christodoulidis, he has been going around uh, European Union capitals lately. He has met uh, with French president. He has met with the Dutch prime minister. He has met with the German chancellor as well uh, recently. And he is discussing about this initiative. In fact, in his visit to Germany, he even gave a um, an interview at Deutsche Welle in which he was explicitly asked on whether Mrs. Angela Merkel could be uh, this political persona. Kemal, I am trying to make a serious comment and you laugh. <laughs> no, actually, she would be a, an important person and I really like to see her in getting involved and, uh, you know, as Mr. David Haney was him once who said that, that uh, Cyprus is the graveyard yes. of, of diplomats. So... Yeah. You know, Kemal, and uh, I think it is not easy not to laugh at this. No, not that, as you said, it would be problematic in, in any way, but because sometimes the Cypriot strategy works as though it is trying to please the Cypriot audience rather than actually get things done. And why am I saying this? Because we need to put uh, the whole discussion into a particular context. Mr. Christodoulidis, his whole strategy since he assumed power is to put all the focus on the international community, to put all the focus on the level of Turkey that, you know, we need to put the pressure on Turkey. And uh, he, he insists on the need for the European Union to become more engaged in the, in, in the process. Having said that, as we said multiple times, the negotiations between the sides take place under the UN uh, umbrella. They take place under the UN auspices. They don't take place um, in abstraction. So 
And, and when there is any representative appointed by the United Nations as a representative in the negotiations, it is a representative that is agreed by all sides. It is not a representative that is uh, picked and chosen by uh, one single side. At the same time, it is also important to put into the picture who your interlocutors are. Yes, it is good to be putting a lot of emphasis on Turkey because it is a great player. But at the same time, you are talking to an international community. You are talking to interlocutors who already have an idea on the Cyprus problem. Yes, institutional amnesia exists, but at the same time, the memory of what happened in Grand Montana is still there. In in his latest meeting with German uh, Chancellor Olaf Scholz, Mr. Scholz explicitly said that They are not sure whether the political courage exists by all sides. And his statements did not in any way only pinpoint or single out Turkey. It was like it was a wider message for everyone involved. And it actually reminded us of what uh, Antonio Guterres had written in in his um, in his report following the collapse of Kramontana, in which he said all the elements were on the table, but the political will was not there. So Mr. Schultz's statements, in fact, remind us of this. And what everyone is telling us is that, yes, it is good to focus on Turkey, but there are other things to see as well. And in fact, Mr. Schultz His statements were important because he referred to the importance of good neighborly relations. He referred to the importance of solving the issues in the Eastern Mediterranean based on on international law. So I think that they are trying to open a window, but at the same time, they want to stay out of it. And I think uh, Mr. Christodoulidis has already scaled down expectations, but it is evident that the EU cannot in any way implicate itself in negotiations, definitely not before a representative is appointed by the United Nations. And the way I see it is that the most they can do is maybe, you know, try to push the sides towards an understanding or towards coming closer. But what Mr. Christodoulidis used to talk about, about this carrot and stick approach, about the need for uh, the European Union to be used as a leverage towards Turkey in order to drag Turkey into negotiations, I don't see an indication by uh, European Union leaders to be willing to engage in this. And having said that, on the sidelines and behind the scenes, you have things happening like what you mentioned about the basic account for Turkish Cypriots. Um, according to our information, we do hear that Mr. Christodoulidis is eager and he's asking the technical committees for ideas. He wants to investigate the ground, but he does this away from the media, on the sidelines. And really, maybe we should consider whether the international community wants to see more of what we do at home before it is convinced that we truly mean business. Having said that, of course, I understand the limitations because of the political parties that are supporting Mr. Christodoulidis, but we cannot be discussing this whole thing about the European Union initiative if we leave this um, perspective uh, aside. Every time I hear this statement, this to start from where to restart from where we left off in Grand Montana, I want to pull my hair. Unfortunately, I don't have it. The first question that comes to my mind: If you want to start from Grand Montana, why did you walk away from it? Especially as you rightly pointed out, all the elements were on the table, as stated by Mr. Guterres. And now, after many years, now that the blame game is hopefully over, we can 
maybe hopefully talk more sanely about what happened in Kramontan. I'm not getting there, but the the discussion that we we have to continue the discussions from where we left off why did you walk away why do you want to start now after five years losing so many things losing the the, the, the turkish cypriot politics now being controlled by turkey losing mr akunju losing a better position losing all your you know strengths and now you want to start from Crown montana again it kills me number two the discussion i think this needs to be questioned that that greek cypriot leader says that or make it very clear that he wants to discuss and negotiate with turkey and not with turkish cypriots really you prefer mr erdogan to mr akinci this is what i'm hearing the turkish cypriots whom you're supposedly hoping to be the partners of your future partnership that you call them compatriots, you rather wants to discuss your terms with Erdogan because this is in line with your whole policy that the Turkish Cypriots are the puppets and, you know, it's Turkey calling the shots. Now this is the case. But where were you guys when Mr. Akinju was dethroned, to say it in a funny way, and uh, when Mr. Erdogan pushed him by his own power, but literally pushed him away, made a big battle and replaced him with Mr. Tatar. Where were you? And now you want to discuss your terms with Mr. Erdogan. Do you want to go in bed with Mr. Erdogan rather than a Turkish Cypriot, a decent Turkish Cypriot leader? This is what I'm referring to Mr. Akinci not Mr. Tatar, apparently. Anyway, so I pulled all my hair enough, so I'm, I don't want to get into that so much. And talking of which, uh, the Turkish Cypriot, uh, when we are discussing the, the Turkish Cypriot politics, it is the, another funny thing is that uh, we are going to go to the ballots on the 25th of June. So there will be two elections to discuss. The same day we have the Greek elections, as far as I understand, to choose one member of the 50 seat assembly and um, just just for one seat everybody all constituencies in the north will be voting there will be ballot boxes in Kyrenia, in morfu in famagusta in in carpazia like this is crazy and at the time when the the turkish cypriot politics are really not making a huge difference and when UBP and Mr. Ersin Tatar gave all the control to Turkey, it's a question mark. But the, the other funny thing, we have four pro-solution left candidates. Four. Four. And uh, <laughs> like, I, I want to repeat it forever. I mean, and these are the people whom we know, whom I know, whom I worked together, walked on the same streets with in the past. Decent candidates. And I know I understand the political parties are using this as a test case for their own strength. But, you know, spending so much money and time and effort and trying to convince people to go to the ballot boxes. And that one seat was emptied by Mr. Kutret Özersay on the grounds that the Turkish Cypriot politics is now a joke and he's 
reacting to the interference by Turkey. Mr. Kudret Özersay reacting to Turkish interference into Turkish politics. And now we have four political parties and I don't know, number of other political parties on the right trying to fill that gap. So this is the situation and I don't know what's going to happen. Of course, it's important in terms of coalition because um, if UBP gets it, it will be easier to, um, let's say, get rid of one of the political um, coalition partners in the north. But I don't know what's going to happen. A famous uh, Turkish Cypriot journalist, Sami Özustu, will be JTP's candidate. And the former judge, Tajan Reynar, who was also stepped down when decided that he wants to support Cener Levent in his case against um, you know, um, against him. So he was the other candidate. Yes, the third candidate is uh, Abdullah Korkmansan from the left movement and the fourth uh, Umut uh, Ersoy from uh, the uh, independent path. So we have four left candidates. Those are yeah, the people who are ally. involved with the civil society, um, who, who are pro-solution candidates. And, you know, this also gives a very negative picture about inability of the left um, of the center in the north to cooperate and come up with a single candidate. It's kind of upsetting if you think about it. It's um... Yeah, well, when you don't have the Cyprus talks really on the yeah. forefront, then, you know, other issues start to become dominant in the discussion and then, yeah, people start making other calculations. Now, the political parties want to test their own powers and this is all about. I think this brings us to the end of our program. It's been a long program, as we suggested, because there have been so many things. And uh, let's not forget that now Turkey will, will be back to the uh, will be back to the elections again because there will be local elections in Turkey, and then the mayors of Ankara and Istanbul and Izmir, of course, will be challenged in those um, elections. So we'll be coming up with more elections, and more and more and more elections in Turkey, Greece, and in Cyprus. Thank you very much. The first trilingual podcast station of Cyprus. Island Talks. Open. Diverse. Free.